Off the ball. Feels like we're in the running already. There's still half a season to go. I'm not sure how long you can maintain that sort of nervous energy, that emotional intensity. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. Our Saturday panel guest this week is Irish rugby legend Brian O'Driscoll. Brian, how are you keeping? Really good, John. Really good. Good to see you. Great to see you. This is a Six Nations preview without any cliches whatsoever over the next while. So no no mentions of sheep. You got the wrong guy. Sheepskin jackets (laughs) or hip flasks or carveries or being interrupted by pints or anything like that. Okay, okay. I could throw in a. How does Durban and the Six Nations sound like? <laughs> I think they've ruled that one out. I think they've ruled that one out. Yeah, yeah. Lots of time difference. <laughs> um, so we start next weekend, Ireland away to Wales and Cardiff, and then we uh, host France. We got trips to Italy and Scotland, and then the championship will conclude with England on St. Patrick's weekend in Dublin, Brian. We're going to preview the tournament uh, a little bit later on in the chat, but I think what we'll do, first of all, is maybe pick out some of your best moments from the, the great time you had with the Six Nations. I was going out 65 times you played in the Championship, a record 26 tries out of your 133 appearances for Ireland. Like, it's been such a part of your life. You've got 14 years in the tournament, Brian, and then you're watching it now and you're working for ITV in this year's tournament. But when you're a young lad, did you be a part of the schoolboy section at Lansdowne Road? Were you going to matches as a young lad? Not really. Right. Not really. I was, I had terrible eyesight, right? And, okay. um, and like, I didn't love wearing my glasses and I always kind of felt I can see more at home. I, I would have gone to the occasional game for my first ever get, game and I, I couldn't be right on the year but it was it may have been Ferguson Lee's only cap at 15 because I only remember it because he was a Clontarf guy okay gonna guess late 80s before right. I was playing rugby before I was in Willow Parker and Black Rock so as much as it was a thing like rugby in Ireland in the 90s was no it was no, great no great shape yeah no great shakes you know there was we lost more than we won uh, either competing for the wooden spoon or or achieving it so yeah it was as much as I was enjoying my rugby I guess it's weird all my focus was really on kind of watch was what what was happening in World Cups and then what was going on with the All Blacks yeah you know I had different cassettes and different tapes of them you know of, I remember buying their you know the All Blacks in the 80s and just yeah be watching it over and over and over again and you're nearly able to do the commentary on it but um, but with regard to watching live games, um, it was TV stuff and with the family. And then you never really, I wasn't one to kind of inquire about tickets really. And my dad never had a real focus on going to games before I was playing. So no, it was very much tipped away and watch it, but maybe not for the full 80 over the course of, of a Six Nations. So your first Six Nations is 2000. The France game obviously is the one we all remember, the hat trick. What was it, the engineering in terms of you uh, hitting that mark on that day? What were you doing right as an athlete, as a person, as a as a rugby player that just made you have that amazing day that burst you onto the scene? I listen, there's loads of factors that come together there. You know, I think, you know, you can have, you, you know, you can't have a good individual performance without everyone performing well. It's just like that's a major anomaly. Um, so first of all, we we were very competitive as a team that day, which over the previous twenty five or thirty years, actually two years previously, we were very nearly won, um, lost by two or three points. Um, 
but before that, you know, from memory and from being told about it, you know, there were some real drubbings in France. It was a bit of a graveyard destination for us. So to be able to go over and, you know, play with a team that obviously was a nice hard track, played scared, played nervous, um, you know, first time there. Um, and and all of a sudden, you know, we're, I remember the first five minutes and, and I think they might have they scored a quick try that was then disallowed. And I remember thinking, this is just at a pace that I've never, tight. ever experienced. Even in the World Cup, it didn't feel that fast. Uh, in, you know, I was lucky to, to kind of just squeeze into the World, the World Cup in 99. And yeah, there were tough games and fast games, but not at that ferocity and not the tempo that they were throwing at us. And, and you know, I'd grown up, obviously, with watching that French team in the 90s. And when I talked about not watching much Six Nations, I'm talking about early on, of course, from kind of 95 on, I would have watched a lot when I really became, as a teenager, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, I would have then really um, watched a lot of rugby full stop. But watching that French team in 90... Uh, not the French team in 95, the French team in 99, and the build-up to that side... Um, but throughout the, the 90s, they were exceptional. Blanco, Saint-André, Fisela, Menel, all of those were phenomenal. And so um, all of a sudden, you, we had a version of that coming. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, I can understand how this is a graveyard, how, how tough this could be. But we, you know, I think that t- try was denied and um, was written, written off. And, and then you know, we just stay in the game, stay in the game, stay in the game. We scored early ourselves. And then all of a sudden, it just settled nerves a bit. And you quieten the crowd a little bit and you score a couple of tries yourself and you're, it's nip and tuck. You've got a chance. That's all it, all you can expect in France. Is you're never going to go over yeah. and bash them. Oh, I'll go over and Is it the them. freedom of youth that you're not thinking about it, that you're just going for it? That's, that's totally it. The, it's... it's the, it's almost an ignorance of yeah. um, of lack of 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 lack of experience. Um, you know, it's it's not knowing how how damned you can be, and just and going and, and teasing your way and finding your way into it. And you know, as an individual, you know, I, I was on the right end of of a great Malopelli uh, pass, but there was a really great sequence of play before that, some good carries, and all of a sudden, okay, we've scored in Paris, great, and that, you're not thinking, oh, great, I've scored a try. You're just thinking, brilliant, um, we're in it. You know, we're not going to get blown away here. And I did this, you know, this O celebration. Gareth Bale. Was, it wasn't, it was, <laughs> I've heard it's many things, but it was, it was, um, I, I, I don't know, I've said this story many times, wrote in the book about being in Book Whaley's the weekend before on Saturday night. And I met a friend of my sister's, a guy called Oren Malone, and he was known as the big O to all his mates <laughs> and we're drinking the second cheapest bottle of wine on the list um, and um, and he goes next time you score a try for Ireland you got to give me the big O <laughs> and I was like you're on I'm not thinking about it anyway score the try and boom the first thing I think about is Oren and Bookway <laughs> the week before I was like I better give him a shout out I said I'd do it so I do the big O and then you know the second try comes in the second, you know, the start of the second half, and then we're really in it. And they haven't scored a try. Gerald Mercer on kicked eight penalties, I think. So to keep them tryless was was pretty good going. That Dennis Hickey tackle on Mark Del Mazzo, which was the game, you know. Um, he gets all the plaudits, but actually I held the ball up just over the line. No one ever talks about that, but I, I know, I know. Uh, so he, his was the split himself open, Mark Del Mazzo, a bit of momentum, and then I just managed to get my hand under the ball as he's trying to put it down. So we we stopped that one, and it's all of the, these moments build in 
in a successful game and then um, and then I scored the third one and at that stage I'm like jeez this is getting serious like no more celebrations no more shout outs to Big to, to Oran to Big O and uh, and then Humps came on and kicked the, the winning penalty and yeah there was great celebration did it change your life to, was it yeah, yeah. yeah that was the that was the major turning point yeah it did in what way um, people in the, recognize, on the street being recognised yeah, in yeah. the street um, schoolboy stuff you know I went to a, a junior cup game in Blackrock senior cup game in Blackrock during the, the following week and I kind of came in late and walked across to the past pupils and you know, the whole three quarters of the stand of schoolboys legged it out and ran over to the terrace Looking, there was no pictures back then, but looking for autographs and just it was we that was really weird. Someone that would would never have been used, never expected or anticipated something big culture that shock. same of that element of fame, which it was, I guess, coming that dramatically. Yeah, was a real shock to the system. And then you had to just to kind of cope with that then over the next few years. Yeah, and and listen, you make some mistakes and. Um, and you learn along the way and you do a lot of growing up quickly um, and, you know, I'm part of the leadership team and and then, you know, relatively quickly I find myself getting, you know, being made captain for a period of time. And so, yeah, I think you have to, um, you, you have to pay a bit more attention to what you're doing, albeit, you know, I'd still let my hair down, you know, when I was out at night. Looking no camera phones, not that yeah, you did anything wrong. But like you know it was, no, for sure, for sure. I think back, I, I, I really... I don't envy the guys these days. Yeah. I really don't. It's it's everyone's a journalist. Everyone can capture a moment of weakness, and there was plenty of them back in the noughties. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a big relief that you're able to go um, undocumented um, on you know on nights out or you know Life not that, not that behaviour was ri- ridiculous, but you know too much to drink or you know just. Small stuff You're in the could, public be eye. A big, could be made a big scene of if you wanted it, as, as social media does. Yeah. So we're picking out five moments. Three years later, you're captain uh, for a Grand Slam game against mm. England at uh, Lansdowne Road. When we have all these uh, historical kind of references to Cardiff and Twickenham, we don't really mention this game, but we were, we, the Grand Slam was on the line. And this was the day of the Martin Johnson uh, standing in the wrong place with his team for the red carpet. And uh, the Irish team then had to go to the other side and, and sit and stand on the grass. Mary McAleese was, had to go and, and walk on the grass. Was there much made of that in terms of what actually happened in the match? Was that a psychological edge that England gained in you, or is that a load of nonsense? Yeah, I think it was a load of nonsense. I think, you know, the psychological edge was when they started smacking us. Right. <laughs> it came, the psychological edge just preempted the, the physical part. Um, it was, they were a much better team, it was much more organised, and, you know, were we ready for a Grand Slam game? I would say no. It was our first really big game of that group of players. Um, you know, we'd beaten beaten Australia in 2002, um, which was obviously a, a huge victory for us. We beat France in 01, uh, having beaten them in 2000. So we were starting to pick off teams, one off, one off, you know, one off victories. And then, um, and then having England come was huge, and, and our first Grand Slam game for a, for a long time. And, and you know there was great excitement around it. But um, what happened there? I, I've I've actually got huge respect for Jono for what he did. No backward step. They'd lost on the final day of the pre- three previous um, Six Nations. He, you know, he wasn't 
he, you know, it was the manner in which he, he says afterwards, he, there was the manner in which he was told to move by the stadium announcer and the aggressive nature of it. And he just thought, that before they came out, Clive Woodward had said to them, there's nowhere to go if you don't win today. There's nowhere to hide. Having, having you know, blown it on the, on the final day three, three years previously, so that there was no backward step taken. And just said, no, dug his heels in. And, you know, we three opt. I didn't even know we had a side. Kevin Mags is like, they're disrespecting us. They're on our side. I was like, we've got a side. Um, and so could could have lined behind them. I would have vanished behind Martin Johnson. Could have stood in front. Could have potentially gotten a dig in the head. Or we could have gone down to the left-hand side and Mary Mack was going to get her shoes dirty. So uh, that, what I thought, was the best of, of a bad bunch. What did we learn from losing that game? That they were a much better team. That we had a long way to go. That... Um, one-off victories and consistency. One-off victories was one thing, but consistency is a very different thing. But yet we brought confidence in getting ourselves a Grand Slam game in that Six Nations to then go on to the World Cup later on in the year and that we'd beaten Australia in the previous November. We were going to get them in the pool stage. We had our banana skin in Argentina in the Group 2. But we should feel as though we had the capabilities of getting to that all-important semi-final, you know, if we um, if we played the way we had played that year up to that England game. But they, you know, they were just so much better than us. We talk about anthems, Brian, and uh, when we're picking out moments, 2007, four years later, against England at Croke Park with uh, the Aviva Stadium being built at the time. When you look back at the the footage and you see yourself as Captain John Hayes and tears beside you, I know you referenced in other interviews that you didn't even know he was crying. Um, but it just seems from looking at that, there was no way Ireland were going to lose that game. No, and, and it was obviously you know the second game in Croke Park. You know, we, it, you know, the vast majority of us, and I'm sure I can't speak for everyone, but we were so honoured to have been allowed to play in the hallowed ground of turf of, of Croke Park. I'd missed the opportunity to do so in sixth class in my national school because I'd moved to Willow Park and they managed to get to Croke Park in a, um, in a, in a school league and I just thought, oh, I've missed my chance. <laughs> and, um, and so for me, that was such a big deal, albeit play, playing a different sport there. And I'd missed out on the, the previous game against France. Um, I was... I wouldn't even say 50-50, I was 70-30 and I probably could have played at a bit of a hamstring strain and I probably could have played and it was just decided that Eddie thought we probably would have enough for France and that holds hold fire for England and we lost in that you know last play of the game which was devastating. So the thought of missing the second game and also then you know, being allowed to play there and losing your first two and, the, and then for England to come to town and, and lose to them was just non-negotiable, so... It was one of the most anticipated games I've ever been involved in. Um, the week was front, back, middle of the paper, everything. Everyone was talking about it. People that had no interest in sport, in rugby, wanted tickets. I've never known an appetite for tickets like that week. Um, and and so when we got there, it didn't really need an awful lot, but there was probably, it was a time when there was probably a fair bit of barking in the dressing room and pumping players up, but there really needn't have been because everyone was just ready it just shows how much the game is a mental game. Um, get yourself right, get yourself in the right pitch, um, in the right headspace, and when you follow suit with your physicality and your accuracy, it's it's a wicked combination. Do you feel the crowd when you're playing? Um, sometimes maybe you do, sometimes you don't, but did you feel the crowd get into your veins that day? Well, I think, first of all, there was huge pride in, in how God Save the Queen was, was yes, treated. Yes, respectfully. I think that was... 
for me was a huge moment of you know because you're like you're a proud Irishman and you want to make sure that it's well respected you know it's um and you know we're always we've always been a nation to respect others to respect the goal kicker um and so to hear that silence was it was um a relief and then then it was just about about getting ready for for the, for the battle after that and yeah from from the first step i just remember thinking we're won't be beaten here today there's just we're faster to everything you know we're nastier there's there's an edge to everybody and there's an anticipation um to every play that i just didn't feel that they were a step behind and i know they'd had conor o'shea in to talk to them about the history around croke park but it, it couldn't have it couldn't have gotten to the level of our appreciation for the history and, and how we were allowed to play there and, and what a big deal it was to us. Yeah, 43-13 and two years later as we pick a moment probably one of the biggest moments Brian is winning the Grand Slam in Cardiff um, that, that year you were playing well like you scored tries against what France, Italy, England and then you score a try then the start of the second half in a, in a, in a match that 61 years were trying to win a, a Grand Slam what was go, What was the kind of the, the rhythm at the time when you got that try? It, well, we didn't really go well in the first half and we were we were 7-6 behind or were we 7-0 behind um, yeah we just we butchered a couple of chances and we played only played okay and then we, we just were very clinical really clinical for the Tommy try and then I got the you know the pick and jam try and all of a sudden you know it's four I think it was 14-7 then and all of a sudden okay grand now we're in it and we're playing and and then it was nip and tuck and but you know the just the manner in which that last five minutes unfolded them working their their drop goal um I, I probably should have closed the game out an awful lot earlier they have this play that they love going to the the Stephen Jones has Shane Williams in secondary if I would would do a lot of would have done a lot of analysis on them and they were definitely a, a team of habit and um and so Shane Williams in second receiver and he drifted out wide and then centre and full back came up the middle and they skipped the two of them and I knew it was coming but I just second guessed myself and it was there was an intercept there to be had absolutely just didn't want to find myself being lured into them doing a particular play and then going to something else anyway I didn't either get into the intercept channel or do a good job in tackling him and Lukey scragged him down because I kind of got caught in between but I should have just backed myself and, and, and it would have been a canter in from 60 or 70 anyway that didn't materialise um, and um, the drop goal our drop goal and then the penalty and that helplessness of standing my position my penalty position for a rebound off the post saying a prayer going please just once and I, I didn't for a second think he'd miss because right. he'd been so good. His kicking that day had didn't been, think it was too far. I, I didn't even that didn't even come into okay. the reckoning. I didn't it's even think. Over. No, I yeah. just yeah, I literally was like, that's over. Yeah, that's it. I didn't I didn't think. I, accuracy was always is always the thing, not not that distance. And um, I guess you you just kind of compute eighty minutes and legs and tiredness and, um, and then yeah, I remember seeing it being kicked. And going off, it's online, and then it goes over Paulie's head, and before it's about five yards out, and Paulie starts running up, running off, up the pitch. I was like, "Where's your man? Oh, is he off to celebrate with them? <laughs> What's going on?" <laughs> and and the, he's obviously seen the rotation start moving faster and faster as it loses speed, and uh, and then 
I would say if you wanted one person underneath the post that, to bet your life on, Jordan Murphy was the guy. And so he catches it and then runs over to, to the touchline. And it's gone red at this stage. <laughs> I'm running over to him, go, get, tell him to get rid of it. And he hoofs it up into the sand and then instantaneously regrets not holding onto the ball for his testimonial <laughs> year. <laughs> uh, and then it's just relief. Relief. Not, not joy. Not, not euphoria, no? Not euphoria. No. The euphoria came a little bit later, but pure relief of finally we've got one. Is that a physical feeling? Yeah, it's exhaustion. Do you know what? It's exhaustion and, oh my God, it's just thanks be to God, I can stop for a second. I can stop now. And um, and actually the knock-on effect of it was I, I ended up getting, um, I was sick after the game and I ended up not going to the to the post-match dinner and, and doing my post-match speech. So I was in bed with um, with vertigo and I was getting sick and my wife stayed with me for, for the night. And so Is that maybe a reaction to everything that I'd imagine so. It must have been. It's, it, like that, it was that, I, I'd never had vertigo before in, yeah. in my life. So all of a sudden, you know, you're feeling Your body's just saying. And that, that, you know, that tended to happen me after all Six Nations. It's like you go, 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 go. And I used to always break out in cold sores the week after the Six Nations because you just because once the mind switches off the body shuts down and Attention. it goes okay yeah it is you're holding it holding it holding it and then release and then it's like it can just do it can almost be itself um, whereas you're fighting that the whole time and just shows the power of the mind about how much you can hold yourself and hold tell your body what you're capable of doing it's the mind is the strongest part the body will do what the mind tells um, it's just what your, once your mind goes you know your body follows suit was there much for celebration? Like, did you? Well, the next day was great because I was obviously I was up early and I felt great the next morning. Yeah. And yeah, I'm up at six and I'm and all of a sudden I'm a Grand Slam winner and I've no hangover and this is, I was like this is brilliant and super, where are we going? We got Super Sunday ready to go, <laughs> so I went down to the team room and uh, and I the few of the lads are still having drinks with the cup there and you know they're all. Um, having a laugh and I was like I had a bit of crack with them for a while I was like let's go and get some sleep because we're going to be you know, presenting the cup in Dawson Street in a few hours so I went and did a pool session just to pass time just to get the breakfast anyway we're on the I'm on the uh, on the flight home and Jordan Murphy was one of those up and he's his eyes are not good and he's having a, a chicken and stuffing sandwich and like um, I was like, yeah, you're dead, or I get that into you. Anyway, we present the cup on, on Dawson Street, and just as I'm about to lift it with that kidney, I open the top off, and half of the chicken <laughs> sandwich is still in the cup. I was like, has no one looked in here to, to see what's going on? Uh, so, um, that was a great day, and yeah, we went out back out to Kalini to the to hotel where in Fitzpatrick's out there, and you know, all family and and all that. And, and sorry, after the game, I'd gotten to, my family came up to our room up the up in the Hilton, like it was rammed in, like in the Hilton, and and so we got them up the backstage backstairs, and so we got all photos and everything with them that night, and then they came out the next night out to you know Kalini, and you get to enjoy it a bit more. It's a bit less frenetic. But yeah, that was such an amazing time. Also, it was just it was you, for, you forget the timing of it with the recession and with the downturn and how it was very important. And so many people said how important it was. It was just an escape escapism from the reality of where the world was at at that time. So that, on top of everything, was it was lovely to have provided that. It's funny we we all remember where we were. I was McSorley's in Ranelagh. Yeah, and like it was on it was onto the street. 
Oh yeah, I did not. Yeah, it was, like it's you're always you're like, oh god. I remember talking. I did a, did a documentary for BT during during the year, and I was talking to Johnny Bairstow, the cricketer, and yeah, they just won the Ashes, and he's talking to one of the lads, and he's like, oh my god, look at them up there. Wouldn't you love to be up there having a few pints with all them? Steve's like, we just won the Ashes. <laughs> like, it's all the grass is always greener. Yeah, you know, yeah, you look, yeah. you look you know, somewhere and go, wow, they must have a great time. We used to always think that in, um, you know, getting the police escort into into games, looking out and going, wow, they're on the piss for the day. That is a privilege though, getting a police escort. And it is right, and we we and they and that, but they're looking and going, wow, they're going to play for their country today. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, go, yeah, yeah. It's what you can't have. Yeah, you want, yeah, you know? big time. Yeah. The final memory going to pick is uh, you support, talk about like your family and all that. Your support network all being there for that digitally game. And on the 60th minute, you, you're, you know, you're subbed off for your last game at home. And I suppose everybody who's a rugby fan going to uh, Lansdowne Road with their own identity, their own memories and all that cheering you on. And I suppose uh, you could really maybe uh, feel that the journey is coming to an end, but also appreciate it as well. Yeah, I think as well, I was really relieved that I was coming to the end. That's okay. the other thing. You know, I, I, I read Gordon Darcy um, in, his, in an article yesterday talking about you know when you when you know and you're in in your own head your your head's scrambling to survive but you know and you think everyone's aware of it but they're not but that's how I was where I was I, I needed I needed to get out of there with you know my reputation intact um the bet my best days were behind me the the great thing about that Italian game is I had three big moments and three tries and there were there were good touches I remember looking back and thinking so lovely to leave your last game. I got man of the man of the match, and there was probably a bit of sentiment in that one. But I had a hand in three of the of the tries, the, the try scoring pass, and um, or the, the the key pass. And, and you know when you're subbed off, and you know, remember it was Ferg came running on, and afterwards I remember him sending a, a tweet out to to people going, "Oh my god, I, I can't believe! Thank you so much for the incredible reception on the 60th <laughs> minute when I came on." Uh, so yeah, it was cool to be there and and to enjoy it all and and make it like I, I'd made the fake layer of saying that I was going to retire at the start of the year, so it had been this long goodbye. So there was there, there was relief in, in finishing finally and that being the end of my international career in Ireland there was one the following week um, but to so, so Mick Carney the manager had said well, you know there's going to be some things afterwards I was like I don't want to know about it just if you want to do it do it I, I, it doesn't ha- there's no need for it but no they want to blah blah, blah. anyway this is the balloon that goes up as well so it, listen it's it's lovely to be able to look back and then walk out on the pitch with um, with my daughter and um, and my wife and my and uh, my family there, you know, they're the they're your the corner, cornerstone of support, and um, everyone gets to enjoy the good days. They're the ones that pick you up in the bad days. So yeah, I think it's it. They're the ones that you enjoy those moments the most with. Um, but it was yeah, it was a great day. I really really enjoyed. Um, all of it, and and I managed to get off. I was really carrying a, a bad calf, all, you know, for a couple of months at the end, and I was relieved to come off in the 60th minute because it kind of felt it was tied to, and I wanted to get to the following week. Great memories, and we love them, Brian. And we're looking ahead now to this year's tournament. Um, look at Ireland. What's I suppose the the ledger says? Uh, 2022, we had a triple crown. We beat New Zealand for the first time. We had a clean sweep of the uh, November internationals. We're number one in the world. We have a Player of the Year in Josh van der Fleer. How much though does the World Cup? come into the thinking around the Six Nations. It's no, the cash yeah. cow for the IRFU, but also 
like four years ago, we had the England game, and it almost set the tone in a negative way for the for the whole year in 2019. How much is this part of the strategy, the tactics, the personnel for the Six Nations? I, I think it's huge. I think this one feels way more important and way more sorry, way more important and way less important in the same way because it usually would be like very you know next game focus and it's still Six Nations. This is 100% a stepping stone to something much bigger and, a, and, a, and an opportunity to do something that we genuinely never have, but also feels as though it's, it's within touching distance. A hard route to get, get there, but it's, it's absolutely achievable. Um, so in other years, yeah, you, you, you still need the momentum from this. It would be hard if you lost two or three games in this tournament because you're deflated and all of a sudden your confidence is knocked and, and confidence is a big thing you got you just ride it and um, and even when you're you, the great thing about about winning is that even when you're not going great it, it's it, you know it, it it doesn't dissipate any you know when you when you know you haven't gone great but you still get the job done and like we must be a half decent team and so what about when we do play well well that's what we'll that's what we need to do in the world cup anyway so um but the way this fixture has gone I'm, I'm sure this this team will feel as though there's a there is you know a grand slam capability there it's hard to win five games of course but having france and england in the aviva great record there wales where they are at the moment you know, not at their their strongest, and Gats has a big job to do first up against us, probably one of the most organised teams, and then Scotland away will be the really difficult one. I think. Sorry, France at home will be very difficult, but I think if you do manage to get there, that the, that banana skin, similarly to nine, the second last game, Scotland away, is um, yeah, is, pe- is potentially trouble. Why? I just think they they, they you know they've got us in their po- in the pool in the World Cup. We, everyone's no one no one has talked about Scotland, um, and I think just when you if you get the physical part of your game right against any side, if you're ferocious physically, it's really hard to get momentum, get platform, and do what you want to do. And all of a sudden, you're on the back foot, and if they and and they won't beat us, they'll beat us by a couple of points if they do. They're never going to beat us well, but. But they're they're that sort of team that is you know put out by being written off and like you know with a bit of, a little bit of chip on their shoulder, particularly at Murrayfield's tough place to go and play. Is we've got a great record there, but it's always a lot harder than the results would suggest. Um, so I, I I would just be a bit wary about that. The fact that it's fourth game, it obviously depends a lot on you know what injury injury lists look like in for both teams. But yeah, I I would be I'd always look a little bit nervously at that one, just knowing what they are capable of when they turn it on. Tony Sexton's still so pivotal to the team. Brian, what is the difference between having him there and not there in terms of our standing? You see the thing is Johnny Sexton's Johnny Sexton's way more important to Ireland than he is to Leinster. Um He's, a, he's an on-field coach. That's what he is. See, within Leinster, everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone knows their role. But, but on that, like, so for the New Zealand games last year, 12 Leinster for the first two and 11 Leinster for the third test? Yeah. Not the same thing? No. But like, sorry, but, but it's sometimes to beat New Zealand, you need 15. And you need those four guys or three guys, you know, coming in and just being told. And it's not just, it's not just those that are starting. It's in training. It's the it's what's happening during the week. It's giving confidence to everyone, whoever seamlessly does fit, you know, f- move in and out of positions depending on what your circumstances are. 
Um, it, that's you know I do think that there's a huge comfort to how Ireland are playing on the back of a lot of Leinster guys because they play together the whole time and they're playing a, a really good brand themselves. Um, but I I do feel as though there's probably more onus put on Johnny as the the the, the focal point and and the centre point um, within team meetings and environment than necessarily there is in. Um, in Leinster, you know, he doesn't play for Leinster nearly as as much anymore. Others are able to come in, and they're and Leinster is still firing. Whereas if we look at how Ireland have performed when Johnny hasn't been there; it's not the same. And now Joey's gone, and you've got Ross Byrne, who's you know who's earned his place to come back in, um, and Crowley, who's very raw, who will be a great player in a few years' time, but very inexperienced. I think you've got. Two, two very different players to, to Johnny Sexton and that's the reality of where we are Well, until Jolly's gone we'll, all, we'll be talking about that because that is the gulf between him and, and others and that's why you know it's, there's a nervousness around the reliance uh, on him on a 37 year old 38 year old at the World Cup as your number one guy um, who's I would say 30% better than, than the next and that's not being Disrespectful to to Ross. Ross is his absolutely. Is he the number two? I think he is probably. I think he is. I think he, you know he's the guy to to um, to facilitate others to perform. I think he's a really good lever. He does not. I don't think there's a big ego there. I think he's happy to to play a role. Um, um, and I think Crowley has more natural ability than Ross, and will ultimately become a very good 10 in time but I think it will it's too, it's possibly too early I wouldn't rule out Joey coming back in for the World Cup just from a security point of view I think they want to probably see what, what the others have because you know, Joey's been off form and hasn't really hit the previous heights but yeah Joey's you know, when he's come on he's always closed games well he hasn't had that much to do but he's kicked goals and you know kicked the corners well and just done you know, made his tackles so um yeah, it it it'll, it remains, it remains a gulf, and it will. You know, I will. I, I think I share the the country sentiment around a nervousness having such a reliance on on a on a key performer as we do have on Johnny. Like teams are going to charge at Johnny, make him make twenty tackles in a game, tire him out, make sure you you know maybe you can get a knock on him. Like that's the reality. Does it's not unfeasible to think that you could have South Africa through on a final again. What are they if he plays against South Africa? They are going to absolutely bash him um, and see whether he can, you know, whether he can get up time and time again. And I, and I would imagine that Scotland will do the same. Everyone will do the same. Are there positions up for grabs? Obviously Robbie Henshaw is injured, maybe one of the centres and maybe one of the wings, the hooker position. I don't know about the wings. Like Obviously James Lowe has, has, has been back home on personal terms um, on, on private matter. Um, so he, you know, he hasn't had the game time. I guess that would be an issue f- you know, starting him. I, I would imagine you know, um, Mac Hansen you know, has done you know, great things since he's come in so he's a starter. Um I think at 12, we don't know yet. And, and I'm intrigued to see why Jamie Osborne is in there. Is he in there to play, to start? Is he going is he to a be bolter? a bolter? I, I mean, like, he's been, he, he looks as though his first European game, okay, granted he's a great platform, but he looks a lot wiser than 20 years of age. Um, just, and it's usually defensively, 
he just seems to be very comfortable in their setup in the in the system. Um, you know, very proficient tackler, big man, um, really good footwork, kind of sneaky speed, very nice ball handler. We saw some of his lovely touches against Racing last weekend. So, you know, I think the time to probably play him is first up against Wales if you are thinking about him being a bolter. Um, but yes. At the same time, I think Stuart McCluskey's had a great year and didn't take his chance like he would have hoped in November. Then Bundy came on against Australia and played well and scored the try. And you know, it's frustrating for for him. He's obviously got his you know whatever issues are going on in Connacht being left out. The talk, all of his talk about the move to Munster, it's obviously unsettling the setup. And whether it's unsettling him or not, I'm not sure. But it's. Um, it's a bit imperfect. Robbie's definitely still the number one guy, but I'm intrigued to see whether they do go with Jamie in that first game um, because I think then you'll get a sense as to whether he could be that bolter in um, that gets into the World Cup squad. If they don't pick him, I think you're likely to see um, you know, Bundy or um, or Stuart McCluskey being the, the second um, second centre because I think Johnny, uh, Jimmy O'Brien will, will play that quasi-back three 13. Now you did a great job against South Africa so that gives huge confidence in your first cap you're capable of doing that, fitting into a position that maybe you haven't run an awful lot that week um, but to do it seamlessly must have been very reassuring to Andy Farrell. Are you seeing any kind of changes in his style of play? Andy Farrell, obviously the attacking play has been great the last couple of years. Defence is good. It seems to be a good blend. Isn't you're looking for this new? Yeah, I just think some of those little, you know, the little power, not power plays, but those little kind of thought out free kicks, the little loop plays around the rook, rather than just bashing away at opposition, trying to suck them in as if you're picking and jamming. And then we saw some really nice stuff in last year's Six Nations, really great score, a little loop play close to the line, which ordinarily you wouldn't do because everyone's flying flying in, but playing with enough depth. You know, I think it was Johnny might have looped around and got in for a really well-worked, well-thought-out score. I think, you know, Doris's hands on on some of the um, launch play that they did against Gloucester, like that, that ball, you know, the, the peel around the line out and then the, the, you know, spotting Jamie Osborne to, to um, Larmer in behind. Like, not many players can carry the ball as hard as that with that intent and still have the subtlety of hand. The little pivot and drop off to Alatoa on the five metres come, that stuff is gold. So hard to defend against it. And then you just present the same picture the next time and do something slightly different. So... Um, I am expecting some of that, some nuanced stuff. But the thing is, the game plan they are working is they're working on multiple options. Two in every situation, so and three in some cases. And Johnny's the guy that usually picks the third choice when it's available. I think the others probably are looking at two options. But it's a matter of if you run the good lines, if you run the right angles, if you if you stay alive, then it's hard to cover the short line and the player bouncing out the back and if you pick the right option by committing the defence very no, no defence in the world the most organised defence the best system in the world if you force them into making decisions it'll be a major challenge and and I think Wales are a team that love to play up and in and so if you know that's coming particularly George North at 13 you know reasonably good defender but get get him making choices on the line I don't think that's his his, um, his, his great strength um, so I think they'll, they'll definitely Ireland will, will look to try and manipulate him as much as they possibly can the work rate as well of Hugo Keenan in particular but also 
the wingers, and that's why Larmer's so good as well with Leinster. What, you you kind of need to watch it live to fully appreciate. You don't get a good sense of it on TV always, but how much they work from side to side, how much they create three on threes into four on threes by turning up late as the extra guy on the shoulder. That that's a major point of difference of Leinster and Ireland having Hugo Keenan as a guy that has high speed meters that you that are laughable. His 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 fitness ability and capabilities are extraordinary and so was try against England last year if you see how far he works off the ball to actually get that one and get the little pop and, and then still have the ability usually by the time lads get there they're exhausted that's where he accelerates and carries the ball hard so you, you know if you're watching the game live keep an eye on Keenan in particular as to what how much distance he covered I'd love to see his numbers on his GPS units I bet you through the roof Right Wales and Scotland you touched upon Brian France come to Dublin we know they almost have two squads, DuPont, the orchestrator. They've got a few injuries, but I suppose we will really get a sense of once again later in the year by how it all works out in Dublin. Yeah, like it's... I suppose if you look to what happened in the leinster Racing game, it's kind of a subplot to, um, to maybe what you'll see with Ireland-France and... And the power game and them being able to match you physically in the, in defence. And then Leinster had the answers in the end. They wore them down. You know, they're, they're an enormous team, but very skillful team as well. Um, but now defensively very well set up with Sean Edwards. So I still fancy us. I think we've got, I, I think we can cause enough problems. It gave me great comfort in seeing how we re, re, responded and reacted to them coming at us last year and how we never went away and how we got ourselves back to within a score. It, it was one of the best defeats that, uh, that, I've, that I've seen in an Irish jersey for quite some time um, because it was a good, really good French performance. So I feel as though we'll play with a lot of confidence that we can beat them at home and, um, and, and I think as well, we showed physically what we're capable of matching up to in the South African game in November. Um, the big question for Ireland in the coming months over Six Nations and then you know later on in the year is, is what injury toll will will amount. You know, we just can't afford to le- lose, I'd say, four individuals. I'd say Johnny Gibson Park, probably Andrew Porter, and I would say probably Doris. Not for long. Yeah, yes, but I, I think Finley Beelham's come in and right. done it. Like I think what he's done has given me enough confidence. As a yes, Furlong's a lot better player than Finley Beelham, but Beelham's, Beelham's impressed me. He really has, and and it's different starting games and coming on and closing them out. Um, and when we do have Furlong, of course, where we are a lot better. But I think from a level of importance of. The next player, and and you'll say, you know, Conan behind behind Doris, but I think it's the dimension that Doris brings us um, of being able to link fours and backs. It's it's that it's the all court game that I think not many other forwards can play. It's certainly not in our setup, and, and not in lots of setups. I really think he's a phenomenal uh, player, and and he's he's got incredible capabilities of continuing to develop and I believe he's a great pro as well a real student which which would reinforce it so um, probably 
probably them and then maybe Ringrose, you know, considering what form he's in at the moment. Just before we wrap it up, Brian, England come to Dublin on Patrick's weekend. Borthwick's there now, Steve Borthwick. Uh, Eddie Jones is gone. Dan Cole's back in the squad. You know, obviously, Atoja and Farrell are huge. So are they in a transitional period, as I said in Pulp Fiction? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. Um, they are because they're transitioning between coaches. So there's no greater transition than that. Um, and um, he'll obviously have Pref- his his player preferences. Um, again, coaches go back to those that have delivered for them in the past. That's why you see the some of those Leicester players back in there because he delivered. They delivered in the Premiership final last year. When the going gets tough, you know you find out about people f- physically, but more mentally whether they're there for the battle. And that that leaves you know, I suppose whatever the opposite to scar tissue is, leaves a, a good memory um, etched in your mind that, okay, they can deliver. You, you look at, Conor Murray's a great example of that for Andy Farrell. People like Conor Murray well past his best, you know, great case, he has to become through, he's in Paddy, you know, Paddy Patterson, surely some, Murray's not even been picked for Munster. He's been there for all of the big days, Lions, Ireland, since 2016. He's, he's driven confidence into Farrell's um, psyche that I'm the guy to deliver, I'm a closer, I can do whatever role. might be in the winter of my career, but you, you know you can trust me. And that goes an awful long way with coaches. And so that's why Borthwick, I think, is picking some of those Leicester boys. Um, and then he'll pick a, you know, a, a, a team to be able to suit whatever game plan. What's interesting is having Nick Evans, the Saracens attack coach, come in for this Six Nations, You know, which is... It doesn't feel aligned with the Borthwick mentality of, of how he likes to play the game. Doesn't doesn't play in his own half. Kicks the ball an incredible amount. Um, Leicester at times were kicking the ball twice as much as the opposition um, in in games. So, and then really good kick chase. You know, good defensive line, and then build pressure. Good set piece. So, how Nick Evans fits in, and whether do that with Owen Farrell or whether Marcus Smith gets in I think is intriguing and I'm getting a lot of that conversation obviously over with BT and and, and so yeah they're million dollar questions but they've got some injury concerns England they've no hookers really um, Jamie George is, you know, went off concussed uh, last weekend he might be ready for the first game but beyond him I think they're getting a bit threadbare you know inexperienced so there's, and, and Courtney Laws is injured just lacking a little bit um, so they've a good bit of work to do um, and but they're England you know they can they can deliver on, on the big stage they've done it in the past so you know write them off at your peril yeah and you'll be doing some sorry IG- there's a cliche yeah you'll be doing some ITV work as well uh, during the Six Nations Brian just before we finish I, I, I'm always struck by what you know players and managers say and sometimes they pierce through oh that, that's interesting sometimes they don't but Peter Armani remember a couple of years ago said, We're, I've never enjoyed rugby as much as playing under Andy Farrell and this like coaching team of Paul O'Connell John Fogarty Simon needs to be my cat it seems that uh, there's an enjoyment there yeah it looks like they've got a great environment that it's very um that i think the their their workings is very conversational very collaborative um and there's a big piece of ownership given to the players and i think that's why i talk about the level of importance of johnny being in there as as a coach an on-field coach i think he's the connector between the coaches and the players um and yeah i think the there's a there's certainly a relaxed environment. I think if you look at the personalities of all of those coaches, you know they're all um, very easygoing. They're all guys that you'd comfortably sit down, 
beside at, Book at, 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 <laughs> <laughs> None of them have always a starting for them, do they? But sit down at dinner with, you know, and yeah. chew the fat. Not, not expect to talk rugby, you know. They're all very personable guys, all of them. And so I think there's, you know, there, there's probably that dimension that there's a there's a chance to switch off. I think there's, you know, there's not a, a, an additional, you know, there's a scrutiny sometimes that comes with international rugby and, and you know, attention that builds in camp. Sometimes it's important to turn that valve down a little bit and to ratchet it up for meetings and for video sessions and when you're on, but then when you're off to be able to enjoy one another's company, to disconnect, to have a laugh, to just feel at ease. And it, and it feels from all the vibes and all the, all the conversation that, you know, you're hearing out of camp. It's a very well settled team, and um, and it's it's funny, you know, because we're Jamie Osborne is you know maybe that bolter. It doesn't feel as though we're going to be a team with a bolter, you know, or or one out of out of the blue. It doesn't feel like that right now, which which augurs well for how settled a team we are. But you know, all important injuries and and just continue building confidence, building going forward. Your prediction for the Ireland for the Six Nations? Yeah, I, I like I was, I I, I think we can. I really think we can. I, I would think that we'll be in the mix for a championship on um, on the final day for sure. And I and I, you know, the way the games fall, everything is in. I do I do think we'll go over to Wales in, in what'll be a tough game. Won't be, it won't be, um, it won't be a Welsh team that rolls over. I think you'll find it'll be a very tough physical game, but I think we'll get it done there. And I think all important is the French game if we can win that. Um, I do think that you know we we could win a win a slam, but slams are so hard to come by in this in Six Nations. That's that's why we've got so few of them. That's why um, you know people have right side. That's only five games, but they're all really really tough games. So I'm going to say Ireland to win a championship, but but um, but not a slam. Roll on the 18th March in Dublin. Oh, it'll be a, it'll be brilliant. It'll be a really great day, and and hopefully there's a lot at stake. I'm sure there will. For one or other of us, it'll it'll feel as though there's going to be something at stake. The teams, uh, both both sides, England, even a bad England's good, and and Ireland. You know, I I think we're pitched well in a good spot to be able to be consistently good throughout the, this competition so I do feel as though we'll definitely have something worth um, worth, worth playing for in that You'll be doing some ITV analysis and I will all from studio yes. and yeah, Italy three times and oh Rome no Stratford or, uh, or are we Chiswick no Ealing Ealing that's where we are You'll so be okay. yeah I have to drive by the Aviva for the Ireland-France game and go to the airport, fly across <laughs> Heathrow, and drive to Ealing to be in the studio, and then do the same coming back. Well, I live like six minutes from the stadium. It's absolutely grim. You'll be okay, Brian. Amazing stuff. Brilliant talking to you, and thanks for coming into Off the Ball Saturday. Thanks, John. Back after this. Off the Ball. It feels like we're in the running already. There's still half a season to go. I'm not sure how long you can maintain that sort of nervous energy, that emotional intensity. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app.